why Europe swing to the right wing and, and right wing politics in, in, in Europe, why it matters to South Africa. There's been this huge swing and it's actually quite interesting to see how the French have gone very right wing, how this is in, in the European Parliament, how, uh, how a, a bizarre grouping of oddballs in the United Kingdom have taken a huge position inside inside the European Parliament and you wonder whether or not it's simply a protest vote in the European Parliament which doesn't really matter to, to many of these countries and if it's a warning to mainstream politicians that they need to get their political ducks in a row or whether there's something more sinister at play. Uh, Maurice Westhuizen is at Gibbs. He is uh, get, got a long title. He's a faculty member at Gibbs. He teaches strategic foresight, program manager for the future of business in South Africa project. Sure. Big title. Nice to see you again, Maris. Give me a sense, please. The the right-wing swing in Europe, how serious is it? Well, I think it is serious. I think, uh, as you rightly noted, there are two elements to it. On the one level, it is a bit of a protest vote. Uh, It is particularly in the European uh, Parliament that this vote has taken place, which is a way of Europeans saying to the European Union in particular, we're not very happy with the way you're taking, the direction you're taking us in. But on a different level, it is uh, a symptom of a structural and systemic uh, development that is taking place across Europe, where perhaps Europeans are not happy with the changes that are taking place on, on the continent and in within the union itself in terms of uh, social and other issues. I, I was fortunate um, to speak to David Blunkett just in 2008 at the beginning of the financial crisis and talking to David Blunkett and saying, you know, you know, the Labour Party is out of is going to be lose power in the United Kingdom. The Conservatives will come in. That isn't particularly dramatic. But what is your forecast? And his forecast back in 2008, financial crisis is followed by a swing to right wing politics. That then works its way through the system, and then sanity prevails after that. Um, but but these are, these, this is not something that was entirely unexpected. Well, no, I think you're right on the economic side. I think it is more complex than just pure economics. Um, you know, Europe has been through a, a time of austerity and economic stagnation. But in addition to that, quite notably, uh, Europe has seen a very high level of migration and immigration into the area uh, from people who do not have a similar culture and values to what Europeans have claimed to have over the last couple of hundred years. Yep. And so there's been that mixture of uh, cultural tensions, uh, some fears around uh, xenophobia and uh, terrorism and the like. And I think in the midst of an economic slowdown, those social issues become much more pronounced and have led to a a sense of protectionism amongst Europeans. Uh, When we we look at that, we've got almost the opposite on the African continent. We're quite migrant friendly. Well, uh, you know, we, we may say that at times. I think there is a, a general sense of pan-Africanism uh, growing amongst Africans. There's a lot of talk about African integration being key to the future of Africa and Africa's uh, economic potential and success. At the same time, we have not seen the role of the African Union uh, develop to the point where the European Union has. You know, if you imagine a South Africa where the African Union begins to make regulations, begins to make decisions on policy that affects South Africans in a real way, you might find that those who feel they have some to protect begin to take a much more right-wing or protectionist stance. Quite possibly. Economically, I mean, Europe is our biggest trading part, the biggest single trading block. 30% of our exports go to Europe still. Does it make a difference whether uh, it's a, a leftist, centrist or, or right-wing government? I think it, it will in the, the short and medium term as they begin to talk about what this means for policy, economic policy in particular. And what the Europeans will try and do is increasingly try and protect industries that they feel they should be competing in as a European Union, as uh, countries within that. 
And I think in those particular areas, we might see a little bit of, of uh, you know, trade regulation that is not prone to exports from South Africa. But given the low European demand as it stands currently, it probably won't affect us too badly. Uh, and then, of course, globalization was this great peacemaker, wasn't it? There hasn't been a serious European conflict since 1945. Thank goodness. Democracies tend not to attack each other. They tend to talk until everyone falls asleep. Um, and that way conflict is avoided. Does this raise the risk of future conflict? I don't know if future conflict is on the cards. I do think that there is a rethinking taking place around the implications of, of globalization. With globalization has come the notion of multiculturalism, pluralism, and the expectation that uh, we would be able to accommodate the level of diversity that would result from globalization, particularly in Europe. And this is a realization, I think, on the European continent that this is not going to be that easy, uh, particularly when minority groups come in and have interests of their own, want to uh, you know, dictate to the society how they want to live and and there can be tensions around that and so it's really a, a case of restraining globalization in certain areas and bringing a bit of a balance to that if you take a crystal ball out and you say what does this mean to the future of european economics and how that rubs off on us I think European economics is probably more dependent on the deeper structural issues that Europe Mm -hmm. is facing, things like very low demographic growth, um, a stagnating economy because of the level of development. Encouraging immigration. Well, that's the paradox: is they (laughs) need those immigrants desperately to to increase the market. And so, I think Europe is in a much bigger economic uh, stage of stagnation given those those structural issues. There we go. Fabulous discussion, Maris Westeds, and thanks very much. He teaches strategic foresight at the Gordon Institute of Business Science. If I said the words going up, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Are we talking about an elevator or taxes? Your blood pressure or the markets? Your weight or your bank balance? Context matters. Ashburton Investments builds new generation investment solutions with your context in mind. Find out more at ashburtoninvestments.com. Then speak to your financial advisor. Ashburton Investments is part of the First Rand Group. Ashburton Fund Managers is an authorized financial services provider. Welcome to Incredible Connection. So how can I make tech easy for you today? I'm looking for an iPad. Easy. We've got the 16 gig iPad mini retina display with Microsoft Office for iPad for just 4999. The 16 gig iPad mini retina display and Microsoft Office for iPad for just 4999? I'll take it. Phew. That was easy. Yep, that's what we do. We make tech easy. Offer valid 29th May to 1st of June. T's and C's apply. Incredible connection. All the solutions, all the expert service you need. You know that ring that's sitting in your cupboard? The one that great Auntie Mavis loved but you've never worn? Make an appointment with Wolf Brothers and evaluate your unused treasures. Sell those unwanted pieces or remodel them into valuable assets you'll love wearing. Wolf Brothers also offers same-day ring sizing, professional valuations, watch battery replacements, and pressure testing. Visit Wolf Brothers Jewelers in Canal Walk, Cavendish Square, or Somerset West. Wolf Brothers Jewelers. Quality craftsmanship and design at affordable prices. T's and C's apply. Don't miss the Good Food and Wine Show from 29 May to 1 June at the Cape Town International Convention Center. Enjoy top celebrity chefs, including the two greedy Italians, Antonio Carluccio and Gennaro Contaldo, MasterChef Italy judge Carlo Cracco, and the winner of MasterChef Australia Season 5. To entertain the kids, Katie Ashworth from CBeebies. Tickets at CompuTicket or at the door and stand a chance to win a 10,000 Rand shopping spree. Don't miss the Good Food and Wine Show, the ultimate foodie experience. 
13 years ago, Windows XP was ahead of its time, but now it's no longer the best operating system to tackle today's advanced security threats for both corporate and home users. Keep your data safe by switching to Windows 8.1 and Office 365. Get Microsoft Office 365 from Vodacom on the Lenovo Tab 2 tablet, plus a Nokia Lumia 520 smartphone and 3 gigabytes of data per month for just 649 Rand per month, exclusive to Vodacom. Deals are available at your nearest participating Vodacom shop. 567 Cape Talk. SMS Bruce Whitfield on The Money Show on 31567. Uh, I'm always you know, interested to meet Americans and people who've got sort of Ecuadorian roots and Venezuelan roots and Latin American <laughs> roots and all of this sort of stuff. Jason Silver is an interesting mix. He's also a futurist. He's got a program on the National Geographic Channel. It's called Brain Games and it's taking the world by storm, Jason. That's right. Yeah. Brain Games is a pop science series about neuroscience. We're trying to make the brain sexy and fun and accessible and we do that through a series of interactive experiments and perceptual hacks that are meant to reveal the shortcomings in how you perceive the world. Absolutely. You talk about the structure of the brain and you talk about the way in which we see things. Uh, and you'll do very simple um, exercises with people. You'll hold up a placard with, with, say, a triangle on it. There'll be words within the triangle. Sure. And people, most people will read the words, but they will leave elements out because it doesn't suit them um, Absolutely. To, to, to process the, the yeah. situation. We set up these games and these experiments, which are really fun and which give the show an interactive component. So in addition to watching people that we perform the games on, you at home can participate. We call that lean-in programming. And here's the thing. By participating, you have a, a visceral appreciation of how much you don't see on an everyday basis. So or you that, just that get hum- irritated that you're stupid like everybody else. Yeah, but we like, to think, we like to think that it might infuse you with a little bit of, of wonder and humility because it, it, it reveals the fluidity of your perceptions. And that's really interesting. You're driven me. by wonder, aren't you? Yes, I'm a wonder junkie, to borrow the term from Carl Sagan, in the sense that I'm just afflicted with an existential thirst to understand. I was once told that I was a cognitive ecstasy junkie. A, well, a cognitive ecstasy junkie. Yeah, so okay. I was addicted to learning new things that capture my imagination, and it provides a kind of antidote to boredom or an antidote to existential despair. If I was caught up in something larger than myself, then I was riding that high. But you are somebody who likes technology. You've been here talking to IBM, um, and you talk about how technology is changing the world. And we often hear the statistic of the world has changed more in the last hundred years than in the last hundred millennia. Yes, um, absolutely. Well, here's the thing technology i believe is the literalization of human imagination technology is how we extend mind agency willed intent into the world we've been extending our reach with technology since early hominids were grabbing sticks on the floor and using them to reach fruits on a really high tree we've been using our tools to extend our reach and it goes even farther there's a school of thought there's these two cognitive philosophers called andy clark and david chalmers who actually say that we should think of technology as actually like scaffolding that extends Mm -hmm. our thought reach and vision iphone therefore i am is the accurate (laughs) thing to actually say but here's where it gets nuts See, we have these linear local brains that are used to making linear projections about change over time. But technology evolves at an exponential rate of change, not a linear rate of change. So if you take 30 linear steps, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, you get to 30. If you take 30 exponential steps, same amount of steps, mind you, but exponentially, it would go 2, 4, 8, 16. By step 30, you're at a billion 
And, and that is the rate of change in the world of technology. A hundred percent. It's going exponentially, and that's a nice way of explaining it. Well, that's why the smartphone in your pocket today that you can buy for $200, you know, is a, a million times smaller, a million times cheaper and a thousand times more powerful than what used to be $60 million, half a building in size supercomputer 40 years ago. So the supercomputers of yesterday are now in your pockets. Absolutely. In the real world, however, most most Luddites like me love the ease of the iPhone and we use it and it's fine. But we don't even begin to scratch one zillionth of a millimeter into the depth of its its capacity. Well, the best technology is the technology that gets out of the way. It should just extend your will. Whatever you want to do, it should facilitate. I mean, think of making a telephone call or a Skype call. There's a cyborg anthropologist called Amber Case. who says that every time you make a telephone call, you're literally creating a technologically mediated wormhole. You're literally warping space and time. (laughs) Your mind and the mind of the other person across the planet that you're speaking to are transcending the normal limitations of distance, of space, and of time. So for all purposes, with our technology, we have transcended our sphere of limitations, our sphere of possibility. And that is what interests me. Are people right to be scared of technology and the rapid advancement of technology? Well, you know, when we invented writing... As a technology, this yes, the intellectual establishment of the time. The Socrates of the time used to say, if we write things down, this technology is going to, it's going to rot our brains because we're not going to remember anything because we're going to be writing everything down. There's always been a fear of new technology, but in the end, we assimilate these tools and they extend the boundaries of what we are. So I think that, sure, technology is a double-edged sword. You can use fire to cook your food or to burn sure. your enemies. But I think if used correctly, if used intelligently, these tools actually can make us be more empathetic. They can make us interconnect with one another. They can help us transcend our cognitive limits. And that's what interests me because we are the species that didn't stay on the caves. We haven't stayed on the planet. Soon with the biotech genetic engineering revolution, we won't even stay within the limitations of biology. We're the species that transforms and transcends. We look at the phenomenon of 3D printing and how much of the science fiction in 3D printing comes to reality from, from body parts to edible, to, to yeah. food and all sorts of things that can be produced through the marvel of 3D technology which is a fairly new innovation too. And it's early in its, it's, in its early infancy. I read an article today talking about programming your world. They were talking about the full the full flourishing of the nanotechnology revolution which is to manipulate matter, physical matter at the level of the atom and literally we're, we'd, be, we'd be turning the physical world into to a programmable medium rendered into being at the speed of thought. So, I mean, we already, as Terence McKenna says, the man-made world is already a condensation of human imagination. I mean, when Whoa, you get on you've a, got to speak slower. The what? <laughs> the man-made world is already a condensation of human imagination. Okay, all right. When you get on an airplane, I mean, that is the manifestation of the human dream to transcend gravity. It's a million moving parts. It's, I don't know how many thousands of tons, yet it takes off and flies through the air in and, almost perfect precision. And I mean, that technology has evolved in 120 years since the Wright brothers first took over yeah, New York. Exactly. Um, and, exactly. And, and we, we revel in some elements of technology. We fear others. We don't know where it's going to end. We don't know, as Socrates may have worried about people who were writing things down, yeah. whether or not this technology is going to addle our children's brains. Well, here's the thing. Kevin Kelly, the co-founder of Wired Magazine, says that we're actually a lot less in control than we think we are. And he actually, (laughs) he has a term, he describes technology as the seventh kingdom of life. 
He calls it the technium. And he says that it's subject to the same evolutionary forces as biological evolution. And he says the seeming distinction between man-made systems, technologies, and natural systems is receding so fast that it is becoming increasingly clear that a grand continuity connects the world of the born and the world of the made. In other words, technology is our second skin. It's our spider's web. It's our termite colony. It's a part of our species, our extended genotype. What does the world look like? And you can say this safely because we're probably not going to be around to answer uh, for, oh. for our predictions. Um, if we look at the enormous and extraordinary ev- evolution of humanity in the last hundred years, oh, we go yeah. back to the dawn of the First World War, totally. 1914, totally. and we go forward to 2114, yeah. what does this planet look like? Is that a Mad Max scenario? Or is it better? Uh, I think it's infinitely better. I think it's sublime. I think it's... It, it, <laughs> it, it want to be there. In some ways, unfathomable. You know, there's a term that's very popular now used by futurists and people talk about the technological singularity. Now, the singularity is a metaphor borrowed from the physics term that describes what happens when you go through a black hole. Yes. The laws of physics collapse and so on and so forth. Um, and so Ray Kurzweil, Marvin Minsky, a couple of other big thinkers have borrowed this metaphor to describe what they feel is going to happen with this future of information technology. The overlapping revolutions in A – Information tech, computers, you know, the computer in your pocket in 25 years is going to be blood cell sized, interfacing with your biological neurons. Uh The biotechnology revolution, gene sequencing today, genetic gene sequencing going three times faster than Moore's law, three times faster than exponential. And then the then the nanotechnology revolution, which turns matter into a programmable medium, right? Turns the physical world into something that is fluid and manipulatable in real time. So these three overlapping revolutions over the next 25, 40 years are going to coalesce, overlap, and that is the point in which they say we're going to go through the metaphorical equivalent of a black hole in the sense that the world is going to change so much that for us to try to make projections about what that world might look like is impossible. It's as impossible to try to explain to an early hominid pre-language, try to explain to an ape the nuances of a Shakespearean sonnet. You can't do it. We simply don't have the brain bandwidth to understand how the world might be transformed at this point. But I think it's Certainly wonderful to speculate about it. Absolutely, and you can watch him do so. Jason Silva on the National Geographic Channel in South Africa, speaking at a conference in South Africa. He's energetic, energized, and enthused about the future. Just gone, half past seven time anymore on that shooting at Cape Town International Airport. That's right, Bruce. Officials have now confirmed a man has been shot dead inside one of the terminals of Cape Town International Airport. Details are not yet clear, but it's understood shots were fired inside a restaurant this evening. It's being reported three other people have been wounded. Eyewitnesses have described chaotic scenes of panic and confusion as travellers ducked for cover. The airport's Deirdre Davis.